Hi, I'm Mac. Hi, I'm Abigail. And this is Unsubs. This is the podcast where we recap, rate, and review all 324 episodes of Criminal Minds. And today we're covering Season 5, Episode 12, The Uncanny Valley, which is one of my top five favorite episodes of all time. Sorry, I'm chewing blueberries. How dare you chew blueberries? I just wanted to finish my afternoon snack. I love it. So can I can I just say something about this episode and why I think it's so perfect, even though you may not agree. So the premise is so batshit crazy that they are like, we have to really super explain why the unsub is the way they are, because this premise is so crazy that nobody is going to believe this unless we give this extensive backstory for the unsub, which they do, which makes it really, really good. I love this episode. I love this episode. I'm so glad you said you you do because this is definitely my top five. It's one of the one. There's another one coming up that's kind of similar. That's another one of my top fives. What I think I liked about it is it got it reminded me a lot of the Twilight Zone. Ooh, should we do some fun facts? Yes, we should. My husband and I decided that we were going to watch the John Wayne Gacy docu-series on Netflix, even though I despise him. And initially I was like, I don't I don't need to watch this. But then I was like, maybe I want to watch this just in case I ever need to know, because it's a truly terrible story. And I, I knew some things about it peripherally, but I didn't know about it. And we get to the final episode, and it's okay. Like, you know, I... I think that our culture, and we've said this before, like really overdoes it with in, ter- in terms of like what happened to people and like really kind of drags victims through the dirt in a way that they don't need to do. All of a sudden, here he is. Dr. Richard Rappaport is on the screen. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> and my husband's like, what? And I'm like, that's that's the guy I wrote to. <laughs> that's the guy I wrote to for Criminal Minds. And he's like, no, it's not, honey. Like, that's, that's not the guy you wrote to. And I pulled up my email and I was like, no, he literally wrote back to me from his Samsung Galaxy phone and told me that he would not be sending me his article for free and suggested that I find it online which i can't um so i was like that's him so that was super cool to see a friend uh, again i say richard come on the podcast come on the podcast he was the i guess one of the doctors that looked into john wayne gacy and his testimony was used on the trial so if you want to see someone i actually emailed with uh, you can watch the John Wayne Gacy documentary, episode four. There he fucking is. That's crazy. I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. My fun fact is not nearly as exciting. Um, I finally got my hair cut. 
Yes. Oh my God. I forgot to ask for a pick because I'm a terrible friend. And I went in there and she was like, what are you thinking? And I was just like, I've been thinking a lot about Winona Ryder recently. And she was like, say no more. I got you. So she was like, I cut hair when I was in, like during the 80s. Like, I got you. So. Oh my God. Now my hair is like, has the potential to be Heather's-esque. And I'm really excited about it. But. I'm getting I'm I'm getting professional headshots done on Saturday. So I was like I need to need to look presentable. That's awesome. That is so cool. I I should share the rating criteria as you are covering this episode. Yes. Okay, so we rate each episode on a scale of 0 to 100 and we have five different categories. And each category gets a total of 20 points. And the categories are criminal slash serial killer, character development slash character arcs, forensic slash context, script writing, and background characters. I'm here to remind you all of our disclaimer, which is that we are in no way, shape, or form professionally associated with criminal minds or any of the property therein. We are just fans. So, girl, I think we have some listener thoughts. Yes, we do. Hiya, baby. Hey, baby girl, we need to talk. PG or NC-17? You're on speakerphone. I charge extra for groups. Two people wrote in to us in response to the episode The Performer, where Abigail went off about Twilight. I need to, like, listen to the episode because I don't remember how intense I got. It's pretty good. I didn't cut a lot of it. (laughs) Like, normally I will cut around, especially if I do the deep dive, because I fucking talk forever. But I didn't really cut a lot of that. So, anyways. So, this is from Mar. I just listened to your episode on The Performer, where you talked about Twilight at the end, and I completely agree with you. I just wanted to add that one of the wildest things about Star Wars not having any women is that I literally never noticed that. Even as a woman, men dominating films is so normalized that I don't even think about it. Similarly, it wasn't until I saw the Hobbit movie a few years years ago where they just added a female elf that I realized there were literally zero female characters in the book. It's so insidious how normalized male-dominated movies are that we often don't even realize how male-dominated they are. The opposite was true, and there were no male characters in a book or movie. I guarantee it would be the first thing everyone noticed. Facts. Thanks for sharing that, Mar. Mar also wanted a little Jeff update, and I guess I just haven't been talking about Jeff. How is little Jeff? Little Jeff is like living her best life. She is best buddies with Mason. They love each other. I've never had cats like each other the way they love each other. And they're very different in ages and, like, very different in personality, so it's super cute. A lot of times I'll catch them, like, I leave one window open upstairs in my house, and there's, like, a cat tree in front of it, so he'll be on the top and she'll be on the bottom, and it's so cute. And I did post a picture of her on her box that she likes that's, like, a toilet paper box that she she just likes it so much, so I don't have the heart to move it. She's the greatest. Okay, so we also got a submission on Tumblr. Um, This person I'm just going to refer to as Anonymous 
they replied to us and said also in response to our performer twilight episode says okay read twilight i agree with what you said about the response to twilight being popular at the time it was mainly based in misogyny and was totally disproportionate that said i was also a little disappointed that you didn't really mention the racism that is embedded in this series I think you can say that people who liked it didn't deserve all the backlash it got and that a lot of the books at the time and since were similar levels of problematic without anywhere near the same response. Without swinging into it, quote, there wasn't anything wrong with it, especially when it has um, done and continues to do material harm to the uh, Quileute people. I, I don't think you're wrong to talk about public perception of it or the good aspects that it does have. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that it does have issues with worth criticizing, if that makes sense. Also, I love your podcast. I thought it was really cool that you guys brought in guests. So thank you. Really good points. That is a really valid point, And that is something that absolutely should be talked about. Yeah, I, I mean, I recently have re-listened to Twilight and... It does kind of sound like Stephanie Meyer, bless her little heart, just kind of looked up a couple things about Quileute people and like probably didn't actually talk to someone. It's very much so the whitewashed version, someone's culture, which is not really fair. And that is a perspective that I guess I didn't even really think about. So I I appreciate that being shared. There is this one account on TikTok I follow called Twilight Talks, and there's this woman who just, your entire, her entire account is dedicated to Twilight, and this is actually something that she started posting about this week as well. I mean, I can link to, I'll send you the resources to link to it, but she was talking about how there were some actors, and again, this is not something that I have, like, expert knowledge on and something that I should definitely, like, do more of my due diligence on and, like, researching and understanding. To my knowledge in Twilight, all of the actors who were playing any of, like, the werewolves were native except for Taylor Lautner, and I think that's very cool. But as, like, as a, res- not a response, but, like, in relation to that, There are rumors, I don't know if this is true, but that one of the actors who played Embry was originally cast as Jacob, but then he was recast when he said that he would not cut his hair for the role due to his beliefs. What? (gasps) That's such trash. And that happened with a couple of the other actors as well. It's also one of those things where it's like, huh, maybe if several of your actors are refusing to cut their hair for the role, you should, like, do your due diligence and, like, think about why that could be problematic of, like, you wanting them to cut their hair. The TikTok account I mentioned, Twilight Talks, she has links to resources on how you can support the Quileute people. Yeah. All right. Well, we we love that y'all are writing into us. We like absolutely love it. And like shout out for people on Tumblr as well, like writing in. That's super cool. So um, if you have anything you want to share or have any thoughts, please write into us. There's a link in our, there's a link on our website and there's also a link in the show notes as well. Hiya, baby. Hey, baby girl. We need to talk. PG or NC-17. You're on speakerphone. I charge extra for groups.
So we open to some footage of a security guard making rounds. It's a little vague where he is, but it's very spooky because it's dark and he's alone and the only light is from his flashlight. But we hear him speaking to who I'm assuming is a supervisor over like a radio walkie talkie situation. And it looks like he may be at a sort of like carnival because he is investigating a carousel, aka a merry-go-round. And it's very, the thing about merry-go-rounds is that they're fun and cute and all, but at night it's very spooky. Also, like, I'm sure everyone knows like what that is, but if you don't, it's like for little children and it's like a spinning disc thing with fake horses on it and you sit on the horses and it's like a ride it takes you around in a circle and it has has music yeah it's like typical insert carnival music here you know he has a suspicion because he hears something that someone might be like horsing around on the carousel stop (laughs) How dare you right now? This is one of my top five favorite episodes and you making fucking bad horse jokes. He's like, is someone horsing around on the carousel? But so he goes over to investigate and um, he tells whoever he's like, wherever it is, like, you got to leave. But then all of a sudden, the carousel turns on, the music starts playing and a man named Don comes out laughing, which is ominous as hell turns out this is someone he knows and he says he was just like fixing a belt part thing of the carousel the tension is not gone that's not it because the guard notices someone or something on the ride they walk over to one of like a the bench sort of seats on the ride and there is the body of a dead woman and she's all dolled up yeah, she's, like, wearing fucking whack-ass clothes. Like, it's... It's very vintage. So, JJ explains to the team how this is the second victim in Atlantic City. Rita Stewart, 25, second victim in Atlantic City. Pretty public spot for a dump site. You know, technically, I think it would qualify more as a disposal site. You don't leave a body on a merry-go-round out of convenience. Took some time with her appearance, didn't they? Yeah, her nails were polished, her hair was cut, clothes were brand new. Once it'll look her best one found, that's a lot of remorse. Who's victim number one? Stacia Jackson, 29. She was found at a local playground. Quite a change in victimology. What's the connection between these women? There is none. Rita was married. Stacia was single. Rita worked at a diner. Stacia was a corporate lawyer. According to their credit cards, they never came within 10 miles of each other. Both women were taken two months ago? Yeah, they led such completely different lives. The police didn't tie their abduction together until now. Was there any evidence of sexual assault? There was no evidence of violence of any kind. So how did they die? Rita had a stroke, Stacia had a brain hemorrhage. With this, the unsub, you give them a battery of drugs, atricurium, doxicurium, these are neuroinhibitors. They block signals from the brain to the muscles. He put them in medical comas for two months. Actually, they weren't in a coma. You'd need phenobarbital to keep them unconscious, and they didn't have that. So wait a minute, these victims were paralyzed, but they were still conscious? They could open their eyes, hear, probably even feel stimulation. Physical immobility, but mental awareness. This unsub wants total domination over them. And he turns their bodies into prisons to do it. Basically meaning that they are paralyzed for two months. They could open their eyes and probably feel some stimulation, but that's about it. Just now, as 
I'm talking about this. How did they use the restroom? Oh, I'm sure they were wearing diapers or something, probably. Yeah, that's terrifying. That's, oh, God. And now we see a bunch of what I'm guessing are not mannequins, is what I wrote. And, yep, they, they're the real woman being dressed up and treated like mannequins. Yeah, there's some really great music every time we cut to the mannequin real women. And I will be inserting it here for your listening pleasure. But it's just... it. It's 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 so good. I fucking love this episode so much. went to the store and bought myself a drink because I was like, we're recording, so I'm gonna get myself a Kavita. Ooh, what flavor? Oh, do you you like Kavita? Are you a Kavita gal? I like all kombucha. I like the lemon ginger. Ooh, you animal. (laughs) You don't like it? No, I do like it, but that's like, I, I feel like there's some flavors on the spectrum of kombucha that are more like acidic as opposed to other ones that are more like easy I easy reading I was gonna say easy listening easy tasting you know like it's not the pineapple mango or whatever I also like the, the lemon cayenne you that's you are an animal <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're ta- you're drinking pure vinegar at that point I love that yeah. shit I drink that every day but like that's Pure vinegar with, like, cayenne. (laughs) So on the BAU jet... Hey, girl! They basically say that this is a form of sadism um, because it's extremely dehumanizing. The women were found in good conditions, there was no sign of bed sores, and they were fed through an IV. So this is someone who has access to drugs and IVs. And I, like, this is this happens so often. Our criminal minds are like, this random sadist, but they also know how to embalm a person. Or it's like, you know, you know like, they're multi-talented. They're an entrepreneur. They're taxiderming. They're a hunting. They're out there running their own goddamn business. Hashtag icon. They know how to administer an IV. They have a large vacant location that nobody frequents. <laughs> exactly. And I'm just like, I love it. Okay, go off. <laughs> so basically, Prentice brings up pretty quickly, like, you know, are you sure this is a man? Like, are you sure this unsub is a man? Like, given the level of care that is shown to these women. And the rest of the team is like, you know what? This could be a woman. The care this unsub shows these victims, although they are dehumanized, it profiles as female. What about the postmortem posing? That's a lot of dead weight for a woman to carry. These women are petite. They're under 100 pounds. All right, if we reconsider the gender of the profile, what changes? Nothing. 
If anything, it fits better. Men kill to fulfill a sexual compulsion. Women don't. You see this an angel of mercy killers like Janine Jones and Amy Archer. They didn't care about race or hair color. It's men that do. So Garcia calls in. She has red hair now. Ooh. And she shares that the clothing that the unsub dressed the women in were not only made of chiffon, but fit extremely well, like perfectly well, perfect and flattering to the exact measurements. So Prentice suggests that maybe the body type slash like fit of the clothing is the reason that these victims were abducted so that this unsub is like looking for a specific model. So at the Atlantic City Police Department, Morgan and Prentice meet with a detective. And Morgan goes to talk to Stasia's mother, and Prentice meets with Rita's husband. Agent Morgan, I don't understand. How does what my daughter looked like have to do with the monster who killed her? We think the young sub is looking for a physical type. Did Rita work out? Stay in shape? Sure. She went to the gym at least three times a week. Stacia took pride in every aspect of her appearance. In what way? You know, her clothes. It was her clothes. She loved to shop. Looks like she has kind of a bohemian streak going on. Yeah. What were her favorite places to shop? High-end boutiques. Expensive ones? Certainly. Both women cared about their appearances, but, like, nothing wild. Stasia liked to shop at, like, high-end stores. She, um, and she had to have a lot of her clothing specifically altered and fitted to her. Rita shopped at thrift stores and consignment shops because it was what she could afford. I I don't think they should have shown them the bodies. I was shocked they did that. I was like genuinely surprised they did that. Like Prentice Girl, put it away. Nobody wants to see that. Like they could have just shown the clothes. You know, I don't really think that they should have done that. Yeah. Hotch speaks to Rossi over the phone, and they talk about how both of the bodies were left and posed at a place that could represent childhood. They talk about the logistics of um, each of these bodies being moved and placed in these spots. So they decide they needed to look into someone who would have access to a van with like a lift for a wheelchair and handicapped placards. <laughs> it's so specific. It's so exhaustive. It's like, we're going to put the body in a wheelchair so we can roll it into this place without being... It's very intense. Reed goes and visits the morgue, and he speaks to the mortician there and asks about the drugs that were being used, etc. Where do you think she's getting the drugs that she's using? Do you think she'd be manipulating a doctor or a pharmacist, maybe? He'd be criminally negligent if she was. It is possible. I mean, doctors... Order things through residents, nurses forge signatures, prescriptions fall through cracks. That's a lot of drugs and a lot of cracks. She keeps these women paralyzed for two months. Your report said both of them had hair extensions clipped in. Yes, to hide the fact that clumps of their real hair had fallen out. But if they were fed through IVs, that wasn't from malnutrition, right? You see this a lot in bedridden patients, loss of motor function, especially in a young woman like this. Of course, psychic shock. Yeah, the mental effects take a physical toll. One last question. In your professional opinion, do you think the hair extensions were clipped on before or after death? Before. And you seem pretty certain of that. <laughs> you know the old wives' tale about your hair and nails growing after death? What's really happening is that dehydration is shrinking your skin, pulling it back. Based on where she clipped these extensions, they were definitely still alive. Back at the police department, Reed talks to Rossi and Hotch about how they don't think death is the actual goal of this unsub. 
Rather, it is like a side effect of the whole experience. <laughs> um, Prentice and Morgan share that the only thing potentially connecting these two women having their clothing tailored to fit their small frames. So Hotch suggests they dig deep into like tailors and alterations and stuff like that and see if there's anybody that these tailors like subcontract out to. Garcia calls in and says she has not found anything regarding a medical vehicle, but there are two new missing persons. Go ahead, Garcia. Hello, my pretties. I have finished my missing person sweep. I've got nothing on the medical vehicle, but two new matches on the clothes make the woman front. Cindy Admondson. She was abducted outside a thrift store, and Maxine Wyan was lassing at the Hillridge Mall. That sounds like our girl. Any surveillance footage at the mall? Uh, no, it was an outside parking lot, so sorry. The new abductees, what's their physical type? They look pretty tiny to me. I'm going to send you pictures. Also, if it pleases the court, I would like to direct your attention to exhibit A, the calendar math. What about it? Both of these new victims were abducted one week ago, exactly one day before the bodies of Rita Stewart and Stacia Jackson, respectively, turned up. She doesn't let a body go until she has a replacement. She was not able to get any surveillance of either of them being abducted. And Garcia also shares that both of them were petite and abducted a week ago. So a day before the bodies of the other two were disposed of. And now we get to see the abduction take place. I love this. We see a woman leaving a dry cleaner at night. Um, She is walking out towards her car and putting her clothing in the trunk. And there is another woman a few parking spots away who is struggling with putting a wheelchair into the back of her large van. Young woman with a dry cleaning walks over and offers to help. And I'm like, girl, no, we do not do this. (laughs) And this results in her being like, oh, yeah, like, I'll lift it up inside your van. And so she gets up inside the van and lifts the wheelchair. So we know exactly where this is going to go. And once inside the van, the other lady just pulls out a freaking taser and, like, tases her down and is like, You're so pretty. And that's how it's done. I think about this this unsub every day. (laughs) Well, not every day. I think about her most days and I'm like, oh, man, she fucking, she had it down to a fucking T. She had it down to a science. (laughs) And the woman's just like, oh, let me help you with this randomly fallen over wheelchair. Like, uh... Also, I'm like, it's not that heavy. She can lift it by herself. Jesus Christ. That would totally work on me, though. Oh, no, I don't talk to anybody. I'm like, leave me alone. But if you realistically, you saw, like, someone struggling with a wheelchair that was, like, fallen over and, like, really struggling, you wouldn't go over and help? No, I'd be like, I will help if they ask. Oh, no. I'm like, you got to advocate for yourself. (laughs) This is a man-eat-man world. Victim is Mary Newsom, abducted two months ago. Okay, well, it looks like her style's chiffon, and it's sewn to fit. If she's disposed of this body, it means she's recently taken a new victim. We'll call Hotch. We'll come through missing persons reports from the last 48 hours. I'll start calling them. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So the next day, the BAU returns to the crime scene of the new body. It's another woman in chiffon. However, this woman is wearing a wig rather than extensions. And this is fun. The wig was literally sewed into her scalp. 
Now we get an eerie shot. This is so funny. Of the unsubdressing the women that we saw before. There's like lots of music and like fancy like overlays going on of like I was like, this is very like born to die era of a Lana Del Rey music video where you just have the overlapping images that you can like see through and everything. Morgan gets a call and he reports on who they believe was abducted. It is Bethany Wallace. Her husband, who I think is very endearing, says that she never returned from picking up the dry cleaners. However, no one witnessed that abduction take place. Rossi puts up photos of the recent abductees and victims and we notice that they all are like matching the same physicality and race. She is what they call a collector. And now we have a profile. All right. So guys, it's a woman. (laughs) Hashtag girl boss. She is a collector, which is a psychopathology similar to hoarding. It is an attachment to objects that becomes obsessive by someone who is antisocial and extremely introverted. These people attach a part of themselves to their collection, and if you try to separate them from their collection, they may react violently. They have suffered damage to their prefrontal cortex, which is part of the brain that regulates basic Freudian fantasy. Oh, God, got to bring Freud into it. I know. I was like, hello? (laughs) Barf. (laughs) They can still function, like drive a car, go to work, even do their taxes. In fact, this unsub excels at goal-oriented jobs, like the precision of sewing or the details of the abduction. The unsub has lost her ability to categorize the difference between living and dead, belonging and loss. So she is collecting women? Not exactly. The BAU believes she is, she thinks she's collecting dolls. Technically speaking, replacing them. She lost the originals sometime within the past three months, which served as her stressor. She searched for a replacement, and when she couldn't find them, she started abducting the closest possible surrogate, women of different ethnicities but of similar physicality. The drug paralysis is part of the fantasy. She puts her victims in a position where they can't talk back so she can fetishize them like the objects she's lost. And so then the Atlanta PD is like, "Mm, I don't believe this. And then Prentice points out how she literally sewed a wig onto the head of one of the victims. And Reed talks about how the collectors and serial killers share like a lot of the same traits. And so this is kind of a continuation of the profile. The unsub's intent is not violence. She needs the collection to be complete so she can have control over her life. This woman works alone and has a medical background. Hotch suggests that they look for nurses or orderlies, former nurses or orderlies. She would not have been able to fake a bedside manner, so she was likely fired. And finally, they believe she is currently working as a tailor or seamstress. 
So Bethany Wallace's husband shows up and he is a cutie. You like he, this man so much. I do. He was <laughs> he was so concerned. And he is freaking out because Bethany is diabetic, which is very, very bad if she is unable to have her medication. Rossi goes to talk to a doctor about the likelihood of a diabetic reacting possibly like positively or negatively to the drugs that she's being given. So doctor, if a diabetic were given this battery of drugs to keep her paralyzed, what would her reaction be? Diabetics metabolize everything they consume differently. Food, drinks, drugs. It all gets broken down to blood sugar at varying rates. Most likely, this patient seized up minutes after she was medicated. So she's already dead? Probably. Although, there is another possibility. On the other hand, there is a slight chance that her body will actually break down the drugs and she could be regaining control over her body. Reed and Morgan go and visit a like vintage doll set house place. Store? Store, yes, that's the word. And this doll man is like very offended. <laughs> oh my god. Wait, say that sentence again, girl. Reed and Morgan go and visit a like vintage doll store. And the doll man, the man who works there, is like very offended at them being there. Uh, but he is able to tell them about like the dolls that they're describing. And basically, they were from the Velo line, which was from the 80s. Um, he was able to show them like a catalog of the dolls. And he talks about how they were like feminist. They were supposed to like promote feminism or something because and diversity because they were girls from a different backgrounds, but they were friends. Look at them integrating in the catalog. You could like send in essays to the doll people and talk about like how you felt about the dolls, I guess, or like the stories for the dolls. But also, like, just to jump in really quickly. Am I crazy? It's two white dolls and one black doll. How is this promoting diversity? <laughs> because one of them is a ginger. <laughs> I can't breathe. It's so fucking funny. Girl. <laughs> but like, listen, criminal minds thought they were being diverse by having two white girls and one black girl. What about like any of the other ethnicities? <laughs> like, it was the 80s. Bro. I it know, was the but 80s, I it, guess they were the, like, <laughs> but girl, it's just like these are the two ethnicities there are. It's because Criminal Minds didn't have the budget to hire more than three actresses to play the dolls. This line of dolls or like whatever was local, and after some kids, like some girls, sent in their like essays that I guess were like upsetting or you know not having good stuff in there the like dolls were killed off they were like you know what we're not gonna make this anymore yeah this is a bad idea yes so next we see like a spooky little sequence where bethany like hallucinates that she's like running away but her arms and legs fall off like a doll's and then it ends and we see her like spasmodically begin to like regain control of her arm and while doing so, she knocks over the teacup, but it doesn't break, which is pretty impressive. 
and the unsub like grumpily retrieves it but like doesn't really think much of like how it fell off so the team is reading all of these essays that were written and submitted into the dolls by the kids these dolls are all like little time capsules only the 80s fashion wasn't so kind to them i'm surprised how many little girls knew how to make shoulder pads how's it going on your end uh, I got a list of vendors the victims went to, tailors, seamstresses, that sort of thing. Hey, JJ, you said something about a handkerchief hem, right? That's exactly like what she says for her victims. What's the name on the entry? Uh, Samantha Malcolm. She's on my list. Wait a minute, guys, I have her essay around here. Hold on. Sally doesn't like the room with the lightning. And Morgan is able to find the corresponding essay. And Garcia pulls up this girl's medical records. And basically, she had electroshock treatments at age 10. Garcia, what happened to her? Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, well, for the first 10 years, nothing. And then she started a battery of electroshock treatments. At 10? Who subjects a child to ECT? That would be her father, Dr. Arthur Malcolm. He runs an inpatient mental health facility for troubled young people called New Lives. At first, the essay that Samantha wrote raised some flags, but their father explained that the therapy was to deal with the recent death of her mother. After that, he started her on a serious regimen of antipsychotic drugs, which he weaned her off of a few years ago. Explains her familiarity with medication. Where is she now? Uh, her father declared her incompetent, so he's still the legal guardian. Everything is in his name, and all of her records list new lives as a residence. She couldn't keep victims in an impatient facility. She needs privacy. Garcia, what about real estate holdings in her father's name? Uh, just his own. But New Lives has a bunch of outpatient and halfway houses all over town. JJ, where does she work? I have her placed at three different shops around town. All right, let's split up and cover the shops and the facility. Back at tea time, Samantha leaves and Bethany starts to regain control of her body. She yanks the drugs out of her arm and says, we're leaving to the other dolls. <laughs> Bethany crawls to the phone that's in the room and she's able to eventually like knock it down and pick it up and dial 911, but it's just a dial tone. And then she is also able to pull the drug IV out of the arm of one of the other women. That, like, really got me because I was like, oh, God, she doesn't have that much motor control. Like, what if she, like, ganks it out wrong or so? Oh, I don't know. That's just needle. Like, those kind like, needles don't bother me, but, like, IV, ugh, that stuff gets me. We see Samantha get off a bus and on her way to work. But she notices that there's, like, an increased, like, police and FBI presence around her. And she starts to get a little nervous. And then Rossi and Reed go to meet with Samantha's father. And he is just, like, hardcore denial. While Rossi Rossies it up with the father, Reed notices there are, like, different children's toys around the office. Where's your daughter, doctor? And Agent Rossi, if you try to talk to her. A mentally ill woman. You'll have no case. Do you understand me? None. We'll keep the police here in case Samantha drops in for a visit. Let's go, Reed. Hey, really fast question. Why are these toys here? I use them in my therapy. No, I understand that, but why are they way up on the shelf away from where any kids can actually reach them? The reminders of patients that I've helped. Let me ask you something. What was the name of the girl you helped with this one? Jenny Larson. Hmm. And this one? What was the name of the girl you helped with this one? Abigail Moore. How about this one? Linda Krauss. These girls are what? They're like nine, nine or 12 years old, I'm assuming? My PhD is on the effect of 
trauma on prepubescent girls. I do not appreciate what you're implying. Oh, I'm, I'm not implying anything. I, I'm making an inference. An inference is an educated guess. And then based on that, I form a hypothesis. For instance, my hypothesis here is that after you raped your daughter, you submitted her to electroshock treatment to make sure she stayed quiet. This is outrageous. And then, out of guilt, you bought her toys. Or more specifically, you bought her a line of dolls because that's what serial molesters do. They give gifts. So you continued the pattern with your other patients, and then once they left your care, you added their toys to your collection. Reed is like, oh, so you were molesting all of these girls. They were your patients, and you were giving each one of them a gift each time it happened, adding them to your collection. And it's a very sexy Reed moment. Yeah, yeah. And the whole thing that is implied is that, like, he was, like, abusing his own daughter. And so he gave her the dolls. They threaten him. And he, like, they're like, if you don't give us the address, we're going to expose you. Because we need the address to where your daughter is. And he eventually gives it to them. I'm like, but you should also expose him, too. I think that that's the point, is that they are going to do it after he admits to it. Back at tea time, the woman Bethany took the IV from also starts to regain control. And I was like, wow, that's fast. However, Samantha is also arriving back home now because I guess she skipped her shift. Bethany puts the drugs back in the other woman. And I was like, self-preservation, I guess. And Bethany returns to her seat. Samantha notices that some things have fallen out of place, such as the phone and some, like, doll legs that got knocked over. And she, like, I thought she was going to get violent, but instead she just kind of goes up to Bethany and is like, don't leave me. And Bethany's like, let us go. And I was like, oh, shit, she's literally speaking. And Samantha's like, I can't. Which is, like, really sad. I know it's like it really kind of has like misery vibes for a moment and you're like oh my god what what is she gonna do but then it's just so sad and it's like oh no I still haven't seen misery and I really need to it's so fun I mean if if I don't know fun's not the right word but it's a trip so then Reed walks in and there is like a very gentle verbal confrontation between the two. Uh, my name's Spencer. I'm, I'm with the FBI. I know what your father did to you and I, I want you to know that he can never, ever hurt you again. He never touched me. He's a good father. He loves me. I know that he probably forced you to say those things and he punished you if you got it wrong, sent you to the, the room with the lightning. The dolls that your father gave you after he hurt you, well, what happened to them? He kept them in his office with the other toys. That's that's where he let you play with them? But when I moved out, I I had to take my friends with me. I couldn't leave them behind. The reason she doesn't have her dolls anymore is because her father gave the dolls to another girl. But Reed is like, I have them, and he brings the dolls, the real ones, not the humans, out to Samantha, and then that's when he, like, also covertly calls for, like, medical and backup. And Reed tells Samantha that she needs to go with some people, but she can bring her friends with her.
think they've like taken kind of turned over a new leaf in terms of mental illness in a lot of ways in this show, because they are being so gentle and like so careful with people who like obviously are doing these terrible things because of mental illness, which is really nice, actually. So the human dolls are taken to the hospital and cutie Carl is reunited with his wife, Bethany. And we see Reed return to the chess kid from the beginning and they play a game together. And we have a little Queen's Gambit moment. So I want to talk about voodoo dolls. This is from Learning Religions, which I thought was, I actually just copied and pasted a lot of this article. And the title is Are Voodoo Dolls Real? And it's from Catherine Beyer. Voodoo, more properly spelled voodoo, which is V-O-D-O-U, is a real religion, not a cult, practiced in Haiti and other places in the Caribbean. Voodoo practitioners do make dolls, but they use them for completely different purposes than revenge. Voodoo dolls are used to help people with healing and as a way to communicate with deceased loved ones. Voodoo dolls that are sold in shops in New Orleans and elsewhere are small human effigies made from two sticks tied in a cross shape to make a body with two arms sticking out. The shape is often covered in a brightly colored triangle of cloth, sometimes Spanish moss is used to fill the body form. The head is a black cloth or wood, and it often has rudimentary facial features like eyes, nose, and mouth. They are often decorated with feathers or sequins, and they come with a pin or a dagger and instructions on how to use it. These voodoo dolls are strictly made for the tourist market. They are not actually used by voodoo practitioners. The oldest examples of figurines that were made specifically to harm or affect another individual date to the Assyrian rituals. From the first millennium BCE, such as the Bronze Age, and in Egypt, dolls were made and then a binding curse was performed, sometimes accomplished by poking pins in them. The idea of evil voodoo dolls as seen in Hollywood horror films may be much younger from the 1950s when thousands of, quote, cashew dolls were imported to the United States from Haiti. These were made of cashew shells and had eyes made of a jequirdian bean, a form of castor bean, which when swallowed by young children can cause serious injury or death. The U.S. government issued a public health warning in 1958, which said that the dolls were lethal. People who practice voodoo religion in Haiti do use the dolls as part of a tradition brought with them from West Africa, importing small effigies known as fetish or bochio for rituals. When these people were forced to the New World as slaves, they brought with them their doll tradition. The rituals in West Africa or in Haiti or New Orleans involving dolls, however, have nothing to do with inflicting harm. They're meant to heal. When hung from trees in cemeteries, they are intended to open and maintain lines of communication between the recently departed. Let's rate this episode. Okay. What do you think about Samantha? I feel bad for her. She's smart. She's talented. She's got a lot going for her. But I think they did such a careful job of constructing her character that I think we should give her a 20. Yeah, I agree. What do you think about character development slash character arcs? 
We didn't get a lot, but I also felt like I really liked, uh, like, I feel like we've talked about how, like, we both love Reed, but sometimes, like, the Reed-centric episodes are just not great. But this one, I feel like we got to see him shine, and it was a really good episode. Agreed. I mean, we could do, you want to do 18, 19, 20 for that? Let's do 18. Okay. Forensics and context, terrifying. Yeah, again, I think we should do a 20 just because they did such a, like, you know, for all the reasons said before, I think, like, it was such a crazy premise that they had to extra explain it and cross their T's and dot their I's. Script writing. I think that this is a pretty a pretty good script. There wasn't anything that, like, jumped out to me as, like, crazy. Right. Um, I don't know. What do you think? 15? 18? I don't know. Why don't we do, like, a 17? Background characters. I thought Carl Wallace was a sweetheart, but otherwise we didn't get very many background characters. Girl, Bethany. Bethany is great. Yeah, Beth. I think we should do a 20 because I like that Bethany got herself out of that. And I think like a lot of times it's like a little crazy or like how could someone escape? But like the whole thing where she had diabetes and she like, I thought, I just thought that that made sense. And I thought it was kind of like a heroic moment for her when she like is like looking at Samantha and she's like, let us go. <laughs> like it was like, fuck yeah. I also just want to say that the amount of acting all the dolls did with just their eyes was really good. Oh, yeah. So definitely a 20 for that. All right. So our total is 95. y'all well thanks so much for listening please write us let us know your thoughts on all of the things uh follow us on all of the things on such podcasts everywhere we do have a trophy if you want to send us a one-time donation of five dollars that would be cool um you can follow me yournewapartment.tumblr.com and you can listen to my very uh just sitting there doing nothing podcast please stay screen podcast and all streaming services all right guys peace out bye